Welcome to the University of South Dakota's podcast, Credit Hour. On this special series, Voices Amplified, we welcome the many individuals throughout our USD community that have unique insight, expertise, and experience with some of the most important issues impacting our communities. Join us as we grow our awareness on topics like social justice, criminal justice reform, and systemic racism. We hope that through these conversations, we can learn not only new perspectives and information, but also challenge ourselves to identify ways we can contribute to creating lasting change. On today's episode of Credit Hour, we speak with Reina Hernandez, a BFA BA graduate from USD and the lead artist on a community-based mural project in Vermilion, South Dakota. We discuss her work, its message, and the importance of appropriate representations of indigenous people. Reina, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Um, well, first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection with USD? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I grew up in Gayville, South Dakota, which is about 15 miles away from here. And I'm an enrolled member of the Yankton Sioux Tribe. Um, I graduated from USD in 2016 with my BFA and my BA. And I currently work for the English department at USD. So, And in your spare time, I guess you continue to make art um and you were involved i think with a pretty cool art project this summer can you just tell us a little bit about what that what that project was yeah um so it was a community-based mural project that i had learned about from usd professor amber hansen um i had never really been a part of anything like that before so it was all really new to me and i wasn't very confident in my abilities to do anything um meaningful with it but um Amber had reassured me that, you know, she would be guiding the process a lot and helping where she can. And that was really, really helpful. But she had asked me to assemble a team of artists um, to help with it. And I knew from my own studio practice and like what I what I do um, in my own studio, which is talk about um, like hybrid identities um, and indigenous issues. Uh, But I knew from that that I wanted to choose Indigenous artists to work with just because I knew that that's where our strengths would be is in combining those experiences um, while also like speaking to members of our community. Um, So I wanted to work with Liz Skye and Inkwamani to create uh, what we what we ended up creating. And it was a really great experience. I think we all worked pretty well together and our ideas really vibed with one another in a way that was um, really organic and uh, I don't know, we just we were just able to kind of riff off of each other's styles and ideas in a way that was respectful. And I I just wasn't sure of how that was going to work, but it, it ended, up, ended up working out really well. You know, we definitely want to talk about the process of how you completed that mural project. But to back up here a second, I guess what mm-hmm. initially got you interested in art? Well, both of my parents are artists and... Um, so my mom uh, raised us, but my dad lived uh, in Vermilion all, all while growing up. But I got to see both of them create artwork and make a living off of their artworks. And so, you know, my mom had five kids um, and she was able to provide for us based off of her income from from art. And so I would also go to the art markets with her, like the Northern Plains Indian Art Market. And I would see all of these other indigenous people creating artwork and being able to go home and provide for their families based off of that. And that was always really inspirational to me. And um, I've taken that with me, you know, into, into my career, into my adulthood. And I understand more now than ever that that's really not an easy thing to do 
um, to be able to make any money off of your artwork, let alone be able to feed five children. So there's always just been that, that profound respect that I have for my mom and her ability to navigate that world in a way that was um, obviously beneficial to me and to my siblings. But, um, but yeah, I've also just really been interested in what, seeing things and trying to depict them as I, as I see them. And so those are really my roots too of like, I, you know, I saw a picture of uh, like Tyra Banks and I just like really wanted to be able to draw her the way that I saw her, but um, it wasn't working out. <laughs> but I, you know, I just kept trying and trying and trying. Um, and finally I got it. You know, so was there a moment, was there a particular piece of artwork that you made um, when you were young where you were like, oh, I'm an artist now? Or did you always consider yourself an artist? Or is that, is that really even like a relevant concept to you? Um, I mean, people always give that kind of hokey answer, like every child is an artist. And I mean, I, I think that that's true in some ways, but um, I don't know, I guess, I guess maybe it's not hokey. I'm, I shouldn't say that, but um, I've always been very encouraged to create artwork and to follow that, um, that ability of mine. Like I've always had an aptitude for it. And so I'm really lucky in that respect because I know a lot of people don't have that encouragement or that foundational um, support uh, to have the confidence to go into being a creator, being an artist. Um, but for me, I think the moment is, there's a, there's a culmination of so many moments, I guess. I can't really pick one, but what I really enjoyed about creating and showing people my work was seeing how they would respond to it. And it was almost always in a positive way. And I think that that encouragement was something that has been such a, a huge motivator for me, but um, you know, when you get older and you're starting to make works um, as an adult, like it's not always encouraging. Sometimes you are met with resistance on the things that you're doing. And so it's been it's you know, it's been such a process and a journey from ever since I was little till till now of, you know, how that changes over time. You know, do you have a favorite artist or an artist that you draw um, inspiration from? Um, well, my mom, first and foremost, <laughs> but um because she's an amazing star quilter and I grew up watching her create these really intricate and masterful star quilts that are, um, that you really don't see anything like them uh, anywhere. And they're, they're just so beautiful. And her use of color and shape and line is just, it, it seems like it's no, like she doesn't even have to think about it. And that's, that's something that people go to school for, they train for, they, that's, that's what they do. But it just, it always came so naturally to her. And um, I think just being exposed to that has been really inspirational for me. But um, also I would say Oscar Howe, which I, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, but just his ability to create work outside of a canon and outside of this vacuum that people try to box indigenous people into. And you know, he has met with that his whole entire career of people telling him that his work, you know, didn't look indigenous enough or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't meeting these like false standards. And so I think that he's just such a huge influence on, on a lot of artists, uh, but me, me particularly because um, we still face some of that criticism today where, you know, people want us to make work that looks a certain way or meets a certain standard and it's just not authentic and it's not true to, to, my own experience. And I think for a lot of indigenous artists, it's not really true to, to their experience either to be kind of boxed into this, this one mode of expression. 
Well, it transitioned back um, to the mural project that you completed this summer, and really last summer is when, um, and probably earlier than that, is when this project started. Just since we're on a podcast, for our listeners, can you just describe what they would see um, if they went in downtown Vermilion and saw the um, really one large project, but two uh, separate smaller projects um, that you worked on? Uh, yeah. So I guess I'm going to explain it more so in the way of like how we created it, um, because it is like a two part story. So it'd be like kind of like a diptych, I guess. Um, but so we created the second half of the story first. Um, and on that first on that first part, it's of this woman who's breastfeeding two babies and there are like waves kind of crashing around her. And then on the bottom part of the mural, there's a contemporary indigenous woman and then there's a traditionally dressed uh, indigenous woman and they're tugging on two ends of a rope and um so for that side what 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 happened was uh we actually started to tell the Sioux creation story with it and we weren't even meaning to but um that's what's happening in that in that imagery and the Sioux creation story goes that there was a flood that impacted the world and the only person that survived was a pregnant woman and Eagle carried her to the top of a peak and she gave birth to twins and that began the Sioux Nation. And so we thought that that was such a cool story to share with people because I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, and to have it on this like huge monumental space was also like just really profound to all three of us. But um, the side that we just completed is titled Wanaksha. And it's, it's really based around conveying a contemporary indigenous female story and also placing emphasis on storytelling because that's such a huge part of Dakota tradition is storytelling. And so in the imagery with that one, it's, there's this um, really large woman who is braiding her hair and she's telling that story. She's telling the Sioux creation story, but her hair is being braided and then it turns into sweet grass which at the end of the braid of sweetgrass, it turns into smoke and then it starts to connect to the other half that we created first. Um, and then we also wanted to depict the Missouri River just because from our conversations with the community, people really um, are, are so attached to and interested in you know, the, the Missouri River and also the floodwaters that, that, that happen here a lot. Um, that's both historically and somewhat currently within the last couple of years. You know, there's so many little um, bits and pieces of the mural that are just, you know, obviously aesthetically amazing to look at, but also just tell, you know, little hidden stories. You you had mentioned to me um, previously, and I love it just because I learned something I think new, um, even on this podcast, you talked about like there's a quilt design um, on the mm -hmm. first half of the mural and how that's like a family pattern. Are there any particular uh, aspects of the mural that you really... Um, you know, draw you or that are kind of your favorite? Um, it always changes, but um, now that the project's done, there's there's still so many, but what I find myself going back to is the, the moments with the handprints on it at the bottom of the second half of the mural. And I, mean, I, was, I was talking to Amber about it a little bit, and she was kind of talking about how in the mural world, it's, it's a little frowned upon to use handprints on a mural. But I think that what what we did with it is it has a transformative quality because we're speaking to um, a, a symbol of the missing and murdered indigenous women's movement, um, to, you know, to, to get justice for um, our stolen women and girls. But um, so I think that 
because it has more of a meaning behind it that, you know, we, we are able to get away with, with, with using handprints because they're not there just, just to have them there to fill up space. They're meaningful. But um, I was also thinking about um, how they have taken on another meaning for me as well, because all throughout art school, we kind of learn about um, these Western traditions of creating artwork and how those are seen as being really like profound and masterful. And then when we talk about indigenous artwork throughout history, it's always relegated to artifact or art as yeah, art as artifact or something in the past. And um, the term that was that used to be used, but it's it's really offensive. It's like primitive. Um, and so a lot of times we're talking about like those handprints in the caves and those being like really primitive. And then like art that's spawned from there is seen as being primitive. But what we did is we took this like really beautiful imagery and we put it up on this giant wall and we're using Western, um, Western traditions to do this. But then we also included handprints, which to me speak to that idea of like, of, of being primitive. Um, so there's like that dichotomy between um, like refined and unrefined that I find really interesting. Well, you know, I know we've spoken in other settings about, I guess maybe like the problematic way that Native Americans and particularly women, but you know, all Native Americans in general um, are often represented in media or by institutions. I guess what is often problematic about media representations of Native Americans? How can institutions do a better job of representing, um, you know, indigenous people or people of color? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I looked at a lot while I was in school, and I actually didn't even really realize it until I went to college. Um, And that's really indicative of the fact that, like, we are being left out of a lot of these conversations that, you know, I like for someone who identified as native, you know, my whole life that it took me going to school to like realize that, um, we were being really being left out of the conversation. Like my mom would talk about it and stuff too, but I guess I didn't really see how impactful that was and how much that impacts identity, um, and the ways that we see ourselves, um, navigating the world. And so in higher education, it's, it's kind of funny because it's like, I still think that there's so many problems in higher education concerning representation of indigenous peoples, because there's just so many different cultures and so many different histories that we're still not learning about. Um, but it took me going to school in order to see that there was that deficit. So it's like, you can't have one without the other, it feels like. Um, but I was talking to my, uh, to the chair of my department actually about, um, you know, how can we be more inclusive for you know, indigenous students. And I, for me, the moment that I felt seen was when there was a book in an English class um, by Zeke Kalasha, who is a Dakota Sioux, well, was a Dakota Sioux writer. And um, I remember seeing that on the syllabus and then reading the book and feeling really, really like, oh, this is like, I can't believe that I'm being represented here. Like it felt really, really different. And I really felt connected to education at that point, just because I was actually finally seeing myself somewhere. And so I think um, it's really important for people, if you're an instructor or professor at a university, for you to really make an effort to decolonize your syllabus um, and take a look at the curriculum and see, you know, what, where there's a deficit. Um, Because a lot of times we're being told our histories through a Western lens. 
Um, so they're being, this is being told to us through the eyes of the oppressor. Um, and that's not a fully informed history. Um, and it, it really does deprive people of a, a fully formed conversation and opinion that they can have on things. And so I often say when I'm talking about these things that it doesn't just affect indigenous students or indigenous people, this affects everyone because everyone's being deprived of, of that knowledge. You know, it makes me think of um, that story makes me think of something else that you had recently told us when we were uh, doing a video um, on the mural project. And it, you were talking about, I guess, the importance of um, seeing contemporary or modern representation of, of indigenous women in large public spaces. Um, and, and it makes me think of that story of, of you, you know, identifying and, and you know, feeling like the education was maybe a little bit more um, comprehensive to your experience when you were able or exposed to, you know, a Native American author. I mean, I guess to back up here for a second and ask the question, I mean, why do public art projects like the ones um, that you've worked on this summer and last summer, why do they matter? I've always thought that public art matters because of how accessible it is. Um, I really like that quality of it being able to be seen by anyone from any walk of life at any moment in time. It doesn't feel reserved for any person or class or race or anything. It's, it's really there for anyone to visit and anyone to see. And I think that my opinion of like gallery and museum spaces has always been one of like, they're like uncomfortably immaculate where I'm like, Oh, I need to be quiet in here. Or like, I need to like dress nicer. And so they feel like there's kind of like they're reserved for a certain type of person and a, a certain class. And I think that public art dismantles that. And I really like that quality of it because art is supposed to create these conversations to help us see one another and help us um, really empathize and to connect with one another on a really basic human level. And that's not going to happen if certain people feel like they're not welcome in these spaces. Um, so the welcoming quality of public art is something that um, I think is just is, is super profound and also really overlooked. Um, I don't I don't think a lot of people really think about about art in terms of like what public art can do um, for groups of people and for communities, but um, and and specifically with this project because it was community based because we could we could just like go and make a mural based on you know our ideas without the community's input, but um, having it be community based to me it was something that I wasn't really sure about at first because I'd never done anything like it and I wasn't sure how the community would respond to what we were wanting to wanting to do, but um, but it really did I think it fortified my sense of community and it felt it gave me um what's the word for it confidence to insert myself in these spaces with my community um where i probably wouldn't have felt as comfortable for or confident but just being there and having a seat at the table and talking to members of the community about the things that they find important and seeing that you know our like the, our um, ideas were really aligning in so many ways and like these larger kind of universal ways was such a cool experience because I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, but I think that that's why public art is so important and especially community-based projects. Um, so I hope to continue doing them because I think that they have so much value for um, cultural capital. 
Well, tell us a little bit about the process of like a community-based project like this. I mean, when did it start? What, um, you know, how was the community involved? So we asked um, members of the community, well, we hung up signs and stuff and we had community meetings and workshops and we asked them to just come to these meetings um, so we could get a sense for what they wanted to see depicted in a public space. And the, our first m meeting wasn't like super well attended, but um, they, as, as they went on, they were a little bit more well attended, but we really just asked people to like come and share their experiences and, you know, draw if they wanted to, or and just talk about what they wanted to talk about. And from those meetings, we were able to source broader themes and concepts for, for what we wanted to include in the mural. And it was really it was a, such an interesting thing to see you know our community come together and talk about really really similar things um and identify with one another on the things that they found important because at the time um south dakota and a lot of places in the midwest were being really impacted by um, heavy rainfall and floodwaters and people really were feeling devastated about it and we were talking a lot about um like, how do we come back from this? How do we overcome, like, all this destruction? And, like, you know, we weren't able to travel certain places. Like, roads were closed off and stuff. So it felt very, like, restricted um, and devastating. But um, for for Inkpa, Liz, and I, we kind of took that, that feeling of, like, how do we overcome this? How do we overcome an adverse situation? And we shifted that lens onto, like, Indigenous people having to overcome um, you know, all these things throughout history and then to get to this place that we are today um, and to be empowered. So I, th I think that that was such a cool process to be able to, um, to, to get that information and then to be able to shift that lens onto um, a different kind of a different concept, but still keep like the meat of that concept. Um, but yeah, so I mean, basically, we just asked people to come to these workshops and and share their their experiences with us. You know, you've said before that our Oh, almost creates like a tension. Mm -hmm. What would be the tension that you think this project maybe creates? Um, I think that at first I was really worried about people who came to the meetings um, because the, the people who came to the meetings were predominantly white. Um, but I was worried about them feeling like they weren't represented or like, you know, they had, come to these meetings and like their ideas weren't being honored. Um, and so for me, that was a little bit contentious because I could see how, how that could happen. And so I was a little bit worried about that, but, um, but that did not happen, which is, uh, was, was really nice. I was, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I think that what happens a lot when we're talking about issues affecting and impacting marginalized groups of people that, um, people in the dominant culture tend to feel attacked. Um, and that really shuts down conversation. And so I wanted to talk about these issues, but in a way that that's disarming. And I think that that's where art plays a huge role is that it, it abstracts language in a way where we can have these conversations without putting someone on the defense. And um, I think that that's, that's a really meaningful way to, to talk about these issues and to bring them up. Because, uh, like I said, it, it's disarming and it, it deters any sort of like combative nature you would have towards that conversation. Um, but yeah, I think anytime you're, in, you're inserting uh, brown bodies 
anywhere, that's it's contentious. Um, and we're seeing that play out right now across the country where it's, we're having these conversations finally. But, you know, up until this point, um, it's almost as if existing as a, a brown person or a person of color it is, is a protest in and of itself. And so I think no matter what, there's going to be tension there and there's going to be, you know, um, opposing sides on like, uh, uh, oh, if this is unequal or if it, or if it, or if it's not, um, you know, who's the authority on that and who are you to say that? But, um, so yeah, it, it's, I think it's always had a little bit of a, a tension. You know, obviously we've talked about the messages that this mural project conveys this, this entire conversation. I, I'm, yeah, I'm curious, like, with a project like this um, that's so public and, you know, hopefully 25, 30, 35 years from now, you're going to be able to go visit this space and still see, um, you know, this project kind of evolve and weather, you know, throughout the years. Is is there a message that you hope people take from a project like this? Yeah, I think I think a project like this is um, I think most of its power is harnessed in the fact that, like, I don't. I don't, it's obviously having impacts right now, but I think its impacts are going to be seen greater in the future. And so I think that that's, for me, I've always held that in the back of my mind, just knowing that like, that if this is going to do anything, I think we're going to be seeing the the impacts of this more in the future because I see, you know, my friend April's daughters um, and I see their reactions to it and they're so young. And I think that if we're, if we're, putting these images up for young women to see um, and they're feeling empowered and they're feeling seen and they're feeling heard. That's just so much more time for them to create this identity that's based around feeling like they're part of the conversation and like they have a seat at the table Um, instead of having to like spend years and years and years trying to, um, you know, to, to deserve a seat at the table, which we do, but um, to, to try and earn it, you know, it's like, um, if, if we're doing this now, then that's work that they don't have to do and that we will see those impacts in the future. You know, I guess is there way, and I know we've talked about this a little bit previously about what public institutions can do to better maybe represent in media, um, you know, stories of native Americans. But I, I mean, do you have any suggestions on, on ways that institutions can provide platforms or kind of amplify the voice or the art of native American artists? Well, when I was in school, we would have like visiting artists and stuff. And a lot of times they, they weren't like artists that were very diverse. Um, I don't know what it's like anymore. I've been out of school for a while, but um, I think really just like giving people a seat at the table and, um, you know, bringing work in, whether it's like writing or artwork or, you know, whatever, by people from these cultures um, and, and really and really taking the time to, to study it is, is really important. And so I don't, I don't really know how exactly we get there or how to do that. But I mean, I just think just including our voices more is going to be really important um, because they're not included very much. And when they are like, they are in a historical sense where um, people are seeing us as like, you know, like the hunter gatherers or like, or as like the merciless savages um, and that's super problematic. And then, you know, when we watch movies about indigenous people, um, they're almost always represented in a way that, again, is tethered to the past, 
where it's like this this historical depiction of indigenous life and it's like that's just not how it is anymore we're contemporary we're here we're doing things we're we're contributing um and but i don't think people are really being shown that side of it of the fact that like we're we're able to to compete on the same stage um and so i think just including contemporary indigenous people into into coursework and into things that we're valuing within the education system um and also like looking at like our faculties and like um the the leaders and the leadership um a lot of times when you're when when you break that down you see that there's very few people of color in these positions and um it's it's what you know it goes back to what i said before having having all faculty or leadership that's just like one representation that's problematic for everyone it's not just like it's not just like an indigenous issue it's not just a black person's issue like that's it's that's everyone's problem like everyone's being deprived of of that that conversation reina i mean obviously we've had a great conversation um and we've got one more question that we want to ask but before i get to that you know i i think you know Part of the intention of, of this particular series that we're doing um, on Credit Hour is to get into conversations on race and social justice. And what interested, I think, us in interviewing you was just the aspects of this mural project that I think add to those conversations. You know, is there anything else that you'd like to add um, about the projects or about the people that you worked with that we haven't talked about yet? Um, yeah, I mean, forming a community within, like, so it was cool to work with the community, but I formed a community with my team of artists um, that was really um, unique and interesting. And I, I don't know, I just, I really miss that now that it's gone, but um, you know, we will work on another project together. But I think that that's something that's really interesting about such a collaborative process like this is that um, the relationships that you build with the people that you're working with and the people who are showing up and who are dedicating their time and their energy to it. Um, so like, so Amber, Janae and, uh, Sonia and myself were, you know, at the wall pretty much every single day and just being able to see, um, like their ideas form around like what I was trying to say about like existing as like indigenous and trying to tell this um, contemporary indigenous story. Um, but just seeing their contributions and their ideas, um, shift over time and, and how they're able to really connect to that story in a way that um, formed like an allyship like they were already allies before but I think that um, there's always space to learn and there's always space to grow and it was just such a cool um, experience to be able to to, to witness that with um, these really just like dedicated hard-working artists um, that um, I consider great friends of mine but um, but yeah so I think you know that does also relate to what we were talking about before with like um like racial inequality and what's what's kind of happening right now in social justice but is like talking about the role of like our allies and how um and how that 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 role has shifted a lot i think within the last you know couple months here and just talking about like how do we how do allies become better allies like it's not like you can just like say like i'm an ally you know i believe in what you're saying it's like you really have to do like there's there's work that needs to be done and and that's what I'm saying is such a valuable thing about the team of artists that I was working with is that I think that um, their understanding and their willingness um, and their belief in the things that I was saying was like, it's so, it's so important. 
for for people to, to step up and for people to really be making an effort to be learning these things um, because a lot of times what's happening is um, the the responsibility is being placed on the person of color or the mar marginalized person to educate um, you know the other side however like it's that's exhausting um, it's not that you know we don't want to and I think what we're doing is we are educating people but um, but they really took it upon themselves to to be educating themselves as well and then really be making meaningful contributions to the imagery of the project so that was um, an interesting aspect of the project that we didn't discuss before. Raina, we have one last question. Um, mm -hmm. And we usually ask all of our guests this. It's a little bit more philosophical in nature. But at this point in your life, what do you know for sure? Well, I want to give the Keanu Reeves answer. <laughs> it is an Oprah question, so it'd be okay. <laughs> you should probably get away with that. <laughs> um, Let's see here. What do I know for sure? Okay, actually, representation matters. Um, it matters so much. And I'm seeing that over and over and over again. And I'm seeing that the impacts of representation and what that does to people. And it matters to how that representation is framed. And that's a fact. Um, and it's really, it's really important. Um. Well, no, thank you so much for the conversation and for telling us a little bit about the mural project. Um, it was cool to witness it um, evolve and, and kind of get completed and watch the process um, the whole summer here in Vermilion. So thank you very much for the work that you do here at USD, but also in the Vermilion community at large. And I'm excited to see kind of your work evolve. Thank you so much for documenting it and taking an interest in it. It was, um, it was, it was really cool to be able to work with you on the project and um, and see the video that you guys made. That was really cool. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, Voices Amplified. Tune in next week as we continue to explore issues involving race, social justice, and criminal justice reform.